Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's topic, the table of duties, is perhaps one of those sections of Luther's small catechism that you may or may not have heard of before. It usually does not make its way into confirmation curriculums because usually the curriculums that are printed up uh, stick with the first six sections, the Ten Commandments, the, the uh, Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, Confession, Absolution, and the Lord's Supper, and usually call it quits at that point. But there are three more portions for Luther's small catechism that are not included in the six chief parts. And there are many of us, myself included, that find that some of these other sections have been neglected to our detriment. For example, when it comes to the table of duties, what did Luther do? What he did was he took a look at the various stations in life that were the big blocks that were part of his society right there in Wittenberg. And he said, the Lord has specific things to say to each of those people who have various callings. And in focusing on each one of them in turn, he was able to inform and teach and also then to secure the fact that no one was not, no one was outside of the, the law and direction of God for sure, but no one was outside of the blessing and promise of God as well. But even more so, no one, no one was not under God. And everyone had a responsibility to the Lord. And in having their responsibility to the Lord, they also had a connection with their neighbor. A specific call to serve. A specific calling. And hence the word vocation became a significant teaching in the Lutheran church. Now, up until that point, the only ones who were considered to have a vocation, a calling, were folks who wore colors like this, or who had shaved their heads like I almost have already. Monks and priests were considered to be called, folks with a calling. And by having a calling, they were not only on the fast track to uh, heaven, uh, however you describe that, but that they were also there to make sure that those who didn't have a calling had advocates, right? Priests and, and monks were supposed to serve as advocates for those who didn't have a, a proper calling. And so by praying for them, they kind of get us all in under their canopy of prayer. Luther said, rubbish. Every one of us has a calling. Every one of us has a God-given calling because guess what? It's right there in scripture. 
And so it is this, uh, this kind of churchy elitism to imagine that there are super Christians and then there's everybody else. No, in fact, that's not the case at all. Each one of us has a means by which we serve God and serve our neighbor as the Lord calls us to that service. The other thing that these passages help with is they help us to recognize that we are all priests, advocates for our neighbor before God, that we are all mediators of the promises of God to one another and to the people of the world as well. That each one of us stands one generation away from God through our Lord Jesus Christ by virtue of our baptism. And that the calling of pastors, which we'll talk about next week, has its role to play in that. But it isn't like having a, a red hotline into the presence of God with coattails whereby I can somehow get more of you into heaven. No, the Lord has poured his gifts out on you just as well. So the first thing to recognize is that the baptized people of God have their callings. Baptized people of God have callings embedded in who they are and where the Lord has placed and put them for serving to their neighbor and to be able to be a blessing to them as well. How God shares his gifts with you is not so that you can hoard them. It's that through the various hats that you wear in the world, that you are a gift to one another and a gift to the world as well. That you are, in fact, contagious, an instrument of God's grace and peace, and an advocate for God with your neighbor, whether it be family or whether it be someone the Lord puts into your realm of influence. I certainly can't be all the various places where all of you are, nor would I even want to be as far as, my goodness, that would be exhausting. You all look like you've been tired out from the week, and I've got mine on the week that I had, too. If I had to be there with all of you, I'd have to be in a hundred different places at once. The blessing of what God has done is he hasn't bound his work just to one of us in the congregation, but he's bound his work to all of us in the congregation. That the waters of baptism that flow from the pond here are flowing in your home and in your workplaces and at the tables at the cafes and in the places where you interact with one another and share the peace of Christ together. With all of these callings, we don't check our faith or our status as a baptized child of God at the door when we leave this place, but that we carry the name of God with us into all the realms in which we move. And so emphasizing that each of us has that role to play, that network to live in, that, that 
word and peace of God to, to have alive and living and active as the, as the promises of God are with us and as the Holy Spirit works in and through us, that we are God's representatives everywhere we go. Well, first off, Luther picked on folks who do wear Bishops, pastors, and preachers. And those passages from Timothy and Titus are straightforward declarations. Keep to the teaching that you learn. Don't make up stuff. <laughs> Keep to the, the truth that you, have, that you have learned and been examined in, and don't, uh, don't stray from it. And keep encouraging the people of God and, and keep sharing with them the, the promises that God has provided to them. Instruct when there is instructing to do, forgive when there is forgiving to do, and all the rest. Be people's pastors, and don't try to be something else at them. And what I mean by at them is where the role of the prince would come in. Don't try to uh, be lord of their lives. Be their pastor. Because there's other folks who have those kinds of callings. You're not there to be a policeman. You're there to be their pastor. You're not there to be a, 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 a onerous over, over them. You're there to be their pastor. So, keeping that hat on securely and straight and staying in my lane, that was one of those kinds of things that I had a a conversation with, with uh, Ron Hinchman, our executive director, when I first became pastor here. I said, Ron, I said, I, I said to Ron, I'll work with the board of elders. You work with everybody else. <laughs> when it comes to directors of boards, when it comes to institution of church, when it comes to um, fellowship and all of those things, I'm not going to try to meddle in any of that. I can be a resource. I can be someone who's here a lot and knows a few things about what's going on and to help people connect up with various jobs and places and so forth. But, but uh, that's not a place for me to be supervised or having people directly report to me. I'm not the CEO of this place. Uh, I am the pastor. Of this place. And so organizationally or structurally or church's institution, it's not about obeying me or doing what I say or or what I'm not the one who sends out memos to have everybody uh, do what needs to be done. I'm the one who comes to proclaim the forgiveness of sins, to share in your baptisms together with you and your family, to lift you up in prayer to the Lord, to provide what support there is to, su to support in terms of administrative practice, to help you celebrate your life as a Christian in this place, to try to make sure that, that your time here as a volunteer is beautiful and some of the best hours of your life should you, should you spend those times here. To do what good staff work can do so that there's a chance for you to celebrate that life in Christ together. 
to be available for Christian counsel and for the forgiveness of sins as needed, to, to keep the word of God living and active throughout the week through Bible class and through ongoing conversation, but not to run the church. That's not what you should look to me to do because I need to stay in my lane because if I don't, the result of that is to squash the work that God is trying to do in and through each one of you. If, if everybody has to report to me, then all we ever do is what I think we should do. And I don't have all the best ideas. I've got my ideas. But when it comes to that part of our life together, the Lord has wisdom in and through all of us together. I get plenty of opportunities to say what there is to say from Scripture. That's what this is about. That's what Bible study is about. That's why my reports at voters' meetings are my <laughs> I That's not the place for me to give speeches. In fact, it's probably best if I don't go there at all very much to let you folks have room to do the work of the church. In fact, the first president of our church body, uh, CFW Walton, made it a practice to never go to voters' meetings. That's, that's where the people of God do their work. I'll be in my office. If you've got a question about the Bible, about what you should do, I'm happy to answer it. But when it comes to the work of the church in terms of its institution and its organization, that's for the people of God to do through the elections that they establish, not for the pastor to, to uh, meddle in. Maybe those are some surprising thoughts to you. But as we look forward to a, another round of meetings starting next week, and as the church goes through its all kinds of conversations about what's next, I'm happy to give my thoughts, but I'm not going to impose my will to because that's not the right way to go. What hearers owe their pastors? Well, there are some passages there too. For those of us who work to uh, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into the place that he has prepared for it full time, when that is a possibility, it is appropriate to try to set aside what is needed for the livelihood of a pastor. There's also the, the joy of hopefully hearing the forgiveness of sins and cherishing the word of God together. And, and honestly, one of the joys of being the pastor here in this place is the number of people who participate in Bible study throughout the week as well. Opportunities for growing and learning together and having further conversation about the Lord together, that these are beautiful things. And it's part of the, the joy of being pastor in this place. What about civil government? What should it do? It should function under God. It is the Lord's tool to, to, uh, to protect all of our lives. It is the Lord's tool in order to, to give good gifts to those who do well and to protect from, from those who do evil. 
And the, the sword that the Lord gives to the state is not born in vain. Uh, it doesn't mean every infraction has to get the death penalty. It does mean that there is a, an effort to impose order in our society under the first article of, of God's work in creation, that there is stability in these things for the sake of God's people. And that stability is there so that the word of the gospel can be moved out, given wings and given free course, so that there isn't upheaval to the point where people can't hear the good news about Jesus Christ because they're so worried about so many other things. But that, that gift of stability provides for the infrastructure for the good news of Jesus Christ to be announced and to be given. And for citizens, in support of those stable structures, we pray that each one of us will take up our part in being a, a political person, whatever that means, whether it's a matter of voting or whether it's a matter of volunteering or whether it's a matter of being a part of, of the, uh, the workings of our society and community together. And not just in terms of elections, even, but just in terms of how it is that we live in a civilized and 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 peaceful society. Then Luther takes a look at family structures. He he goes from the church to the to the state, and then to family structures. And he talks first of all to husbands and husbands. You are there to give your life for your wife, as Christ gave his life for the church. You are there to be servant completely, 100%. If there is a bullet coming, you stand in front. When it comes to making sure that the family is secure, it is your responsibility that all of those things are cared for. You are the one who is given primary responsibility for all of those things. When it comes to the, the peace of the home, when it comes to the peace of your spouse, when it comes to the, the trajectory of love, it must come from the Lord to you and through you. To say nothing else, also of the instruction of those under your influence and authority, especially your children. When it comes to teaching the faith, it is your job, 100%. Uh, throughout the catechism, Luther describes that his teaching given there for all of the Christians in the, under his influence was there to be distributed through the heads of household. And that they would know the truth and that they would pass it on daily throughout their life together in routines that fathers would set the tone for. What about wives? Wives were there to be a part of the household, especially for the sake of demonstrating that service and love throughout their family's life together, that they were to serve alongside and under their husbands 
for the sake of the children and for the sake of the rest of society as well. They were not commanded to lay down their life for their husbands. No, in fact, it's the other way around. In fact, their responsibility was to protect their children. And so for the sake of alignment within the society and alignment within the household, the Lord set up structures for the mutual service and mutual care one for another so that God's will be done and so that God's word be shared throughout families together. Parents in general were not to frustrate their children. Don't keep changing the rules. Don't keep uh, making it hard to know what it is to be a kid in your family. Uh, to be straightforward and clear about what person was going to be doing and what their role in the family was. Who they should look to for, for the word of the Lord and how they should come about in doing it. For children, their role was to obey their parents, but also to listen carefully to the instruction that they were providing, that they should look to God's gracious will in being given these parents. Now, today, we have Mother's Day. It's a good day to talk about all of this. Mothers have been a part of God's continuing work to bring up children in the faith since the beginning. My dad was my confirmation instructor because he was also my pastor. But by the time I got the confirmation class, my mom had already made sure that I knew most of the answers I was going to be asked to give. I didn't know that's what she was doing. But it just happened because there she was, reading me in Bible stories, telling me what they meant, sharing with me her faith, and all the truths that were there. By the time it came to formal instruction, my mom had already taken care of most of all of that needed to be done. It was just a matter then of, of confirming that all of those things had questions and answers and Bible passages to go right along with them. And so, as I think back to my growing up years, the first person that I can point to that shared with me the good news about Jesus, his birth, life, death, and resurrection, was certainly my mom. And the gift that she gave to me is one that we hope to pass on to our kids as well. All of that comes in the package of the word of the Lord. And so he continues to manifest that generation upon generation. In the passages that go on to talk about our work life and our both for those of us who have authorities over us and for those of us who have, who have responsibility for people under us, we have on the one hand to recognize that God is working through our superiors. And we have recognized that we are also God's representatives to those who are under our care and under our leadership as well. So kind of as it goes with families, this kind of it also translates into work life. For those to whom you report, 
they are God's servants to you, and for those who report to you, you are God's servants to them. In these cases, we have a chance to equip and be equipped. We have a chance to uh, celebrate the structures of authority that God provides for us, and we have a chance to serve one another as we serve in the world around us. For young people, they are instructed to remember their elders across the board, to recognize that they have a responsibility in their youth to be of service to those who are struggling because of age and who need extra help. That these are opportunities to be embraced and not necessarily to be avoided or, or to be missed because of other seemingly important activities. This is a matter also of, of never allowing our own selfishness or our own sense of serving ourselves to get in the way of the opportunities we have to serve our neighbor. So it was a matter of being on the lookout for the opportunity to be of some help, to be of some good one to another. Widows. Widows are given the opportunity to pray, especially to pray for others who are busy, right? If you are older in your years and you have fewer designated responsibilities, you're retired or you're especially perhaps don't have the responsibilities directly of family anymore, to recognize that the entire church of God is your family and that the world outside needs your prayers because they're probably not praying. And here you are with the, the time and opportunity to pray on behalf of each other. So that gift of prayer is one that particularly Paul and then Luther pointed out and lifted up. And then for everyone to remember to keep in prayer all of those who are surrounding us in the world, all of those who need and bear responsibility for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of a peaceful life together, to keep advocating for the word of the Lord to go out and to call people to repentance, keep advocating and supporting the chance that the Lord will have one more bit of influence in the neighbor that comes now. And then each one of the places in society that seems to be getting beaten up a little bit more today will have your prayers and volunteer efforts alongside us. And we are all in this together. And that is all part of our responsibility to be a light to the nation, a soul to the earth. For the sake of God's peace among us, both in the world and in our families and in the church and in our hearts, these good gifts provided by the Lord so that he has his word reaching every avenue in our world today, through us and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in faith towards Christ Jesus. Amen. amen.